Uh, so this last week was a big week. It was a big week here at Seacoast, big week for me personally. It's been very busy. We did this thing called Fall Kickoff last week. Very fun, tons of stuff going on around campus. We launched uh, rooted groups. We got about over 600 people doing rooted groups right now, and so there was a ton going on with that. I heard there was a mom's event that was out of control. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hang on. Um, yeah. It was just a. It was a busy week. There was a ton that was happening around here, um, and I don't know why, but my wife decided that because it was such a busy week around here and we had so much going on, that it would be a great week for us to go to my favorite place on earth. Disneyland! Yay! Disneyland. So uh, my, my son's birthday is on the 1st and my daughter's is on the 30th. And so we kind of split the difference and we decided to celebrate both of their birthdays in the middle of the month. And so um, because I love Disneyland so much, my wife decided that we needed to go to Disneyland for like three days in a row. Yeah, oh yeah. And not only that, but because we live so far from Disneyland... Like all of 15 minutes, we needed to stay in a hotel uh, two nights so that we could make sure we got the most amount of time possible at Disneyland, which I loved. <laughs> it was so fun. And so we did that. It was, uh, I'll just say they had a great time. And uh, we made it back. We are alive in the first night back at our house because we, we had such a kind of a crazy schedule for those three days. And the kids, of course, had to stay up and watch the fireworks and had to do all that kind of stuff. When we finally got home, their schedules were just all out of whack. They, they were sleeping at the wrong times and things like that. So the first night back, my son, who already struggles with sleeping, uh, he just he has like FOMO at age four where he doesn't want to sleep because he's afraid he's going to miss out on something. He, uh, between 1.30 and about 6 o'clock in the morning, got up roughly 35 times. And uh, the way that he got up, he said he was scared. That's a lie. And the way that he would do this is, just as Amy and I were about to fall asleep, you know how there's like that twilight sleep where you're sort of asleep but sort of not? What he would do is he would sneak into the room and stand at the bed and put his face right in front of yours like this. And just silence. And then you'd wake up and you're like, oh gosh, what are, <laughs> where did you come from? And I, I, I kid you not, I was so tired and it happened so many times. Um, I, I'm not proud of this and my dad told me not to tell this story publicly, but I got to just confess it to you. So what I did was, um, I, the last time that I put him in bed, he has a kind of a miniature bunk bed that's about this tall. He thought that I left the room, but I actually went under his bed and I laid there. And uh, you can see where this is going. So I was laying under his bed, and about 10 minutes into it, same pattern, he was going to get up. And I see his little feet kind of pop up over, and he's about to go down the ladder. And I grab his ankle, and I go, don't even think about it, little kid. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so good. He's like, oh, God, oh. And I'm like, monsters are real, you know. And, and uh, he didn't get out of bed after that. So what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So today we're talking about fear. Um, <laughs> and we really are. We're talking about fear. We're talking about letting go of certain things. And, and part of the things that we need to let go, maybe one of the main things you need to let go of is fear. And what I've realized about fear is there's really two different types of fear. There's unhealthy fear and then there's healthy fear. Unhealthy fear would be things that we try to instill in our children, which is like, don't go into the busy road, don't, you know, play with sharp objects, things like that. And then there is healthy or uh, un unhealthy fears in which it is things that um, limit our future. 
It is relational fears. It is career fears. It is health fears. It is, it is fears that end up giving us anxiety and oftentimes depression. And what I've realized about both healthy and unhealthy fears is it, it limits our behavior. Fear limits our behavior. In the right context, that's a good thing. But in the wrong context, that's a really bad thing. And so I want to talk about this idea of fear and unhealthy fear and how maybe we can start to work through it. And so the story that we're going to look at today, it takes place in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to be in the book of Numbers. We're going to start at around chapter 13. But let me give you the background information in case you're not maybe a Bible person, a church person. What happens in the Old Testament is we see God come to this man named Abraham, and he says, I am going to, I'm going to do something special in your life. And he has this thing called a covenant with him. And a covenant is sort of like an intimate contract. And so he tells Abraham, I'm going to reveal myself to you, and you are going to be blessed. And all you have to do is you have to worship me, stay faithful to me, do what I tell you to do, and we are going to be in this unique relationship. And I, I promise to give you land, and you're going to have a, a big family. In fact, this family I'm going to raise up into an entire nation called Israel. And through this nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. And we know that through the stories that this, this happens. But quickly on, in the nation of Israel, they end up in a place they didn't think they were going to be. They were outside of the land that God promised them, and they ended up in Egypt. And for 400 years, they're slaves in Egypt until God raises up this man named Moses. Moses comes, and he says, um, I'm getting my people out of here. And so Moses, uh, through the power of God, um, ends up getting his people out of slavery. And you know the story. There were some plagues, and then they end up chasing the Israelites out of Egypt and parting the Red Sea and defeating this enemy. And, and eventually... They wander through the desert for about two years, and they're heading towards the promised land. And during this time, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. And the story that we're going to talk about today is right at the edge of the promised land. The Israelites are camped out. They're at this river, and they're about to enter into the promised land, the one that God has, has given to them. So they're right on the edge, and here's what takes place. In Numbers 13, go ahead and uh, go there with me. If not, it'll be up on the screens. Here's what happens. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So Moses says, all right, guys, we're, we're, we're at the edge of the promised land. I want you to go out. I'm going to send 12 of you. I'm, I want you to go out. I want you to check it out. I want you to see what the land looks like. Does it look like it's fertile? Can we grow some crops there? I want you to look at the people. Are they big? Are they small? Are they strong? Are they weak? I want you to look at the cities. Um, can, are they walled? Can we get in there? I need you to come back with a full report on what it looks like in there. And so they go there, and all 12 of them for 40 days are, are checking out the promised land, and they come back with a report. And here's what they say in verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And so they say, look, it's incredible. It's exactly like God said it was going to be. It's the land that we've been waiting for. Now, here's what I love about this story. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting more familiar with the Bible. I've been reading it for a little while. And, and the more that I learn about the Bible, the more interesting I find it. Because if you don't know, the Bible is not just one book. It's actually a library of books. It's 66 books that have been compiled together by a ton of different authors over thousands of years. And the crazy thing about it is, it's telling the same story. It's all one big story told by different people over periods of time. And so if you look at the story of, uh, of Israel, 
What you see here is you see that God has called his people out of slavery in Egypt, and then he sends them out to, la- to win more land for the kingdom. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that this story is repeated again. In fact, this is the story. This is our story. This is the story of the church. Is A couple thousand years after this, this guy named Jesus shows up, and he says, I have come to set you free. And everybody around him goes, what are you talking about? We're not slaves. We're already free. And he says, no, no, of course you're slaves. You guys are slaves to this thing called sin. Now, sin is, I think the easiest way to understand it is, you know how you're, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You know what you're supposed to do, and yet there is something inside of you that refuses to do it. Like, I know that this is the right thing to do, and yet I consistently do the wrong thing. That it's almost as if you can't help yourself. That's what sin is. Sin is this thing that lives within you, and you're a slave to it. It has mastery over you. And so Jesus comes along and he says, yeah, that thing, that thing, sin that lives within you, I've come to set you free from it. And the way that he does this is through the cross and and the resurrection and, and forgiveness. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so once we have realized that freedom from the slavery, he says, now go out and expand my kingdom on earth. Go out there and win over people for me. Now, the land that he's talking about is the hearts and minds of the people. He says, I want you to go out there and I want you to win over hearts and minds for me. Tell them about the salvation. Tell them about the forgiveness. Tell them about the new life. I want you to go out there and I want you to fight for the people around you. I want you to leverage those relationships. I want you to use those gifts and talents and resources and influence. I want you to go out there and tell them who I am and fight for them. I want you to take more land for the kingdom. And so the story that we see of Israel is really our story. And any, any fight that you're in, whether it's a spiritual, physical one, of course there's going to be opposition or else it wouldn't be a fight. And so here's what happens in their story. In verse 28, it says, The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So yeah, the city looks awesome. I mean, the land is beautiful. It's going to be great, but there's a problem. There's giants. There's giant cities, there's giant walls, and there's giant people in them. We've got an issue. Now, if I were to, um, if I were to interject, or I were to read a little bit deeper into the story, I would imagine what's going through the Israelites' Minds is they're thinking to God, God, did you really call us here? Like, did you really call us to the promised land? And God would say, yeah, yeah. And yet you're going to make it really, really tough on us? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that as well. Okay, God, not only are you making it tough, but it almost feels like you're stacking the deck against us. Like, there is no way that this is going to work out. And God goes, yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Because if it were easy, you would take credit. If it were easy, you wouldn't need me. And so I'm going to make this so incredibly challenging that at the end of the day, you can't take credit for it. You will have to grow your faith in me, and I'll be glorified through the whole thing. And so like any any battle that we may encounter in life, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be opposition. So when I think about raising my kids, who I, I want them to be, people who love Jesus, and I think about my marriage and wanting it to thrive and last a a lifetime. When I think about being a person of character at home and at work, I have to realize that every single step along the way, I'm going to experience opposition. So during our um, our two launch days this last week for Rooted, the last thing that I told them, and I was kind of giving them a warning, I said, 
here's what's going to happen. Because when we launched Rooted, we had about 1,000 people last year who went through it the first session. And we were surprised at how much opposition we experienced. And not internal, but ex external opposition. That us as a staff, we said, we've never been through a more difficult season of ministry than this. And we talked to so many people, and they said, you know, we know when we get up in the morning, and it's Rooted Day, it's going to be a tough day. We're going to experience more traffic, more opposition. We're going to have more reasons to quit. And here's what I told them. I said, because when you make spiritual progress, when you're pushing forward in your faith, it's kind of like a ball that you're trying to push underwater. The harder that you push, the more resistance that you're going to feel. And so just be ready. In fact, you can see it as a good thing is as you experience opposition, it means that you're making progress. It means that you're doing it right. And so obstacles, they're, they're not optional, unfortunately, but how you deal with them is. And so the people of Israel, they're kind of at a crossroad. Are they going to choose to move forward in fear or in faith? And we, of course, find ourselves uh, at this crossroad on a pretty regular basis. As we are dealing with things in our life in which we're going to have to decide, okay, am I going to move forward and be fearful or faithful? I've uh, talked publicly quite a bit about my own personal struggles with anxiety and and paralyzing fear, and, and wrestling uh, through that throughout the years. And, and, and I do think that there are many causes to fear and anxiety, one of which is, and I'm very familiar with this, is biological. It's a chemical imbalance. It's a mental illness that no matter what you do, there is something that is physically um, not right. And so I'm always encouraging people, go see a professional. Go see a counselor. Get the, the exercises that you need to be able to work through this. Get the medication. Get whatever it, it takes if you're experiencing something uh, like this. However, I don't think that's where most of us are at. I think most of us experience fear and anxiety as a consequence of being broken people in a broken world. Is we, we have broken bodies. They're physically broken. They're diseased. We have relational conflicts. We have a loss of hope and dreams and even loved ones. We make poor decisions, and as a result, we oftentimes experience fear and anxiety. So over the years, as I've wrestled with my own uh, battle with anxiety, and I, I realized it was this thing called OCD, I've come to learn that my brain, um, it sometimes sends these random distress signals. Where like you and I, we have the, these reactions in which when we're afraid of something, we or when there's something to that maybe like a tiger or something that's going to attack us, right, and it's running towards us, we're afraid, right? That's a good instinct that God gave us. The problem is, and this is how I try to explain it to people, is there's a little bit of a malfunction in my brain once in a while in which I'll get a distress signal. I call them false alarms. So you got an alarm, and it's a fear alarm, and here's it, you're supposed to be afraid. I kind of have a false alarm sometimes in which my brain will tell me, you need to be afraid, you need to be anxious, and everybody around me is going, but there's nothing to be afraid of. It's because my brain is giving me a false alarm. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And everybody is going, well, there's, what? There's nothing there. And so what I've had to develop over the years is, um, and, and I've learned is I, I, can't, I can't rely on my internal, uh, my internal alarm system. It's just not reliable. My emotions are out of whack. I can't trust them sometimes. And so I've started to go to my wife and I say, honey, um, in this moment right now, I feel a lot of fear and anxiety. Am I seeing this correctly? Is there something to be afraid of? And 99% of the time she'll go, nothing there. There's nothing to be afraid of. You're fine. Everything's good. And I'll go, I don't, I don't feel that way right now. Like, I feel like I should be freaking out. I feel like I should be afraid. I feel like we're about to encounter something pretty dangerous and scary. But because I, I trust you, I know you love me, and you're going to watch out for me. You're going to take care of me. That if you say that there's nothing to be afraid of, 
Even though my feelings tell me otherwise, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to have faith that what you're telling me is true. And see, I think this is what living by faith and not by sight is. This is what faith in God looks like. It's in those moments when I feel like, I don't think things are going to be okay. God, I'm not sure you're watching. I'm not sure you're in control. I'm not sure that you have a plan right now. But I trust you. It doesn't feel like everything's okay, but I'm not going to walk by my feelings. I'm going to walk by my faith. I'm going to move forward in my fears. I'm going to push them aside, and I'm going to I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to go with it. I'm not sure if you have complete control over your emotions. So the fear that I'm talking about is not just a, an emotional feeling. I think, it's, I think it's different than that. Because fear, or, but because emotions are kind of a fickle thing. Is sometimes they come, they go, and you don't even know where they came from, and you couldn't control them if you tried. But here's what I do know. Is in those moments, you can respond to your circumstances and choose to either move forward in fear or faith. You may not be able to control your emotions, but you can control what you do. And you can either move forward in fear or faith. And so as we look at the people of Israel, um, we have to see what their choice was. Are they going to move forward in fear or in faith? Here's what it says in verse 31. It says, uh, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they are spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. So, so they go, look, it's horrible. And then they start telling the entire community, you don't want to go there. This is going to be dangerous. The land we explored devours those living. And all the people we saw there are of great size. And this is my favorite part. They end with this. They say, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. Do you know what giants do to grasshoppers? They crush them under their feet. That's exactly what they're going to do to us. The sky is falling, and then they get everybody else to freak out too. And so here's what happens as the people start to get this message and get all worked up. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. So dramatic. If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? This is the best. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> like, we don't like your plan. Uh, this is a really bad idea. And so it's pretty obvious they have chosen to move forward in fear. And what happens is when you choose fear instead of faith, it turns into disobedience. And I would imagine that if you sat with them and you said, guys, you're choosing fear over faith. Why are you being disobedient? I would be willing to bet they would tell you, oh, we're not being disobedient. We're being responsible. Because what happens is we oftentimes, when we're being disobedient, we... Uh, we rationalize our disobedience. And so let me give you a couple of examples. I'll talk to people all the time, and I'll, I'll talk to them about, you know, their spiritual growth and what's going on. I'll say, now, are you giving, you know, doing the whole 10% thing and blah, blah, And they go, oh, uh, look, I have a family, and I got bills to pay, and I don't make that much money already, and I got to save for their college. And in fact, it would be downright irresponsible for me to give away any of my money. I go, oh, <laughs> that's, you just totally rationalized your disobedience. That's that was a cool journey that you just went on. That mental gymnastics was impressive. Oh, I can't make it to the weekend services, or we can only stop in once a month because, you know, life is busy with work and family and kids, and we got to make sure we're, and I go, wait a minute, I, I thought 
thought this was like a family thing where we show up and we're here and we do this together and, oh, but you figured out how in your mind to make sense of why you doesn't apply to you. See, the truth is, and I'll, I'll, you know what? Here's a confession. I do this too. I know, I know that gluttony is a sin. I know that. And yet I last night go, but I deserve to eat an entire pizza by myself. <laughs> right? I preached hard last night, and I think I need the carbs for tomorrow or something. I don't know. And, and I rationalize my disobedience. You know, it happens to all of us. We all do it. And the truth is, we can try to rationalize our disobedience all we want. But at the end of the day, we're just, we're afraid. Instead of trusting in God and, and relying on him and pushing through with faith, we quit. We give in, we run away, we disobey. Now, luckily in this story, um, not everybody pers- uh, moved forward in fear. There was two that decided to move forward in faith, and their names are Joshua and Caleb. And they interject during kind of this whole chaotic scene, and here's what they say. They say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They come along and they go, are you crazy? Are you not seeing what we're seeing? We have just been brought out of slavery. We've seen the miraculous and now we're standing at the edge of the promised land and we're about to inherit an incredible blessing and you're afraid? You're going to quit? You're fixing your eyes on the wrong thing. You need to adjust your focus because where you see obstacles, we see opportunity. Where you see giants and grasshoppers, we see God working. Yes, you are, you're right to think that if we go in here on our own accord, it's going to be a suicide mission. They're more powerful. They're bigger. There's more of them than there is of us. And so if we're going in there relying on ourselves, you're right, we would be in big trouble, but it's not up to us. God has called us forward. God has said, move forward in faith, and in my power, I will accomplish this. I think they've forgotten that they didn't get themselves there. They didn't get themselves to the edge of the promised land. There was nothing in them that was able to uh, part the Red Sea or bring these plagues upon Egypt. And so do they really believe that God is going to do all this and go, ha ha, it's been a trick. I just did this to destroy you. No, he brought you all the way here and now he's going to let go. Now he's going to give up on you. No way. And see, this is a good reminder for us is because we have to remember that you, you didn't get you here. God did. So much of your life has nothing to do with what you've done. You did not decide to be created. You did not choose when and where you were going to be born or what gifts and talents and resources that you were born with. You don't deserve that spouse and those kids and that house and the nation that you live in. And none of that stuff was you. That was all God. And then we come back and we go, yeah, thanks, God, but I don't trust you with it. But I gave it to you but I, I don't know if I can trust you with it. I brought you all this way. I gave you all of these things, and you think that I'm just going to let you down now? I think that the irony of the whole thing is that our blessings become the thing that blocks us from being bold. Our blessings are the things that block us from being bold. Is We get a little piece of the promised land, 
And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to protect it and make sure that we don't lose it. So Israel, they're on the edge. They're, they're just looking over the Jordan River and they're going right on the other side is the promised land. We're sitting on the edge of it and they go, well, I don't know if I want to risk it. I don't, I got a little bit of the promised land and I think we're good here. I think we should just stay. I don't think we should go out there and venture any further. I got kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got a spouse. I've got a career. I don't know if I can be bold right now. I, I'm I think I'm good with the little piece of the promised land that I've got. And God, God's going, you're just on the edge. There's so much more for you. I gave you that stuff. And don't let it be a, a block to further blessings, to being bold in this life. And so uh, Joshua and Caleb give this whole Braveheart speech. We're going to go. We're going to take this mountain. And we're going to. And if this were a Hollywood movie, they would just go, rah! let's go. But it's not. It's the Bible. And this is my favorite part. This is what they say. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It is so perfect because that is real life right there. We could take this mountain and they go, uh, not only do we not like your idea, we think we're going to kill you for it. <laughs> you know, like it just did not go over well at all. So Joshua and Caleb, they're outvoted. They're not going into the promised land. If we fast forward to the end of the story, we find out that, of course, God was angry at their disobedience and their lack of faith, and so he punishes them. He disciplines them. And oftentimes the way that God punishes us is he gives us the thing that we believe we want and allows us to experience the consequences of it. And so he says, okay, you don't want to enter the promised land? You think it's better out in the wilderness? I'm going to grant that request. You're going to spend 40 years wandering in the desert until everybody who refused to follow me dies in the desert. And that's what happens. When I read this story, I think, that is my biggest fear. I do not want to die in the desert. I don't want to die in the desert. I don't want to go through my life wandering around waiting to die because I refuse to move forward in faith and I'm too afraid or I, I, I won't be obedient to God. I am afraid that my life will be a life of wandering in the desert and dying there. And here's the sad reality is most people will die in the desert. Most people are going to die in the desert. Is they will wander aimlessly through life until it's over. They refuse to fight for their kids and their marriage and their faith. They refuse to fight against the current of what everybody else is, is doing. They, refight, they refuse to fight against the desire to run and escape and settle for temporary pleasures. They just go through life and they die in the desert, never following God's call in their life, never being obedient, never being faithful. And so Joshua and Caleb, because they were the only two that were faithful they're the only two that were allowed to see the promised land. While everybody else died in the desert, God saved them too. And eventually Moses dies and God goes to Joshua and says, you are now the new leader. You need to take the people of Israel and you need to take them into the promised land and go and get what I am giving to you. And he does. And he leads these people in battle after battle after battle in which they claim the promised land. And obviously there's a ton to Joshua's story. In fact, there's so much, they decided to write a book about it. It's the book of Joshua. You guys have this blank stare on your face like, really? Is that getting published soon? What, who's, uh, is that? Yeah, it's in there. Um, Joshua, if we fast forward, uh, we know a ton about Joshua and what happens to him, but there's a couple uh, 
passages that give us insight into what happens to Caleb. And so Joshua has conquered a big portion of the land, and they're still fighting. And he eventually starts to divide up the land among the Israelites, and he gets to Caleb. And Caleb says this to Joshua. He says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I love it. You imagine this picture. Caleb, he's 85 years old. He's battle-hardened. He's escaped slavery. He was a spy. Eventually, he was living in the wilderness, and then he became a warrior, and he is more faithful to God than ever. He has seen so many storms in his life. He has seen people quit and give up, and yet here he is at 85, still pushing forward. In fact, still more confident in God than he ever has been. This is a great picture of who we can become. This is who I want to become. I want to be that guy at 85 years old who is battle-hardened warrior with unshakable faith because I have seen God work time and time again. When I feel like it's all over, he has pulled through. And so I stand there at 85 with complete confidence going, God has got this. Caleb has been through the fire and he came out strong. Here's he continues on. He says, I am as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. This is such a typical guy thing right here, is I'm 85 years old and you young punks need to get out of the way because this is what a real man looks like. Let me show you. You know, you just, he's going for it. And you're like, don't break your hip, grandpa. Like, relax, all right? Get your cane and let's go. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard... Uh, that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He's 85 years old and you know what he wants? I want another mountain to climb. I want another fight. Put me in another battle because I want to take more ground for the kingdom. If there is a breath left in me, I want to continue to push forward in my faith and do big things for God tells us that no one retires from kingdom work. This reminds me of my, my grandfather. My grandfather passed away recently. And up until uh, the day that he died, you could not pull him away from the church. He was a pastor for a thousand years, and he was there. Literally, the last Sunday that he was there is because they had to haul him away to the hospital, and he couldn't be there. But he watched online. And it's because he, he understood there's no retiring from kingdom work. I will continue to fight for people. I will continue to share this message. I will continue to be a warrior in the kingdom. It says that Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. We think of blessings as a 401k and a retirement, and we get to go sit somewhere in a rocking chair in our last days. And here, Caleb is blessed not by, the, by retirement, but by another battle, another war, another mountain to conquer doesn't matter if it's giants or geriatrics. He is going to push forward. He is going to make this, he's going to make this happen. He says, my life's about the mission. And if the mission is not accomplished, you're going to have to kill me before I will stop. There's a commercial you're probably familiar with. It's uh, the most interesting man in the world. And one of the things I think this is his tagline is, uh, stay thirsty, my friends. And I just imagine this is Caleb. He's He's just sitting there and he goes, stay thirsty, my friends. 
Let's go. Let's get this. Let's climb this mountain. Let's defeat this enemy. Let's get into battle. And we see this in the New Testament as well. The apostles come along and they go, we're moving forward until you kill us. We don't care what it takes. We will push this kingdom forward. We were going to go out there and we're going to fight for people. We're going to push this message forward. We're going to love on people. We're going to be generous because we know what's at stake here. There is no retiring from kingdom work. And so if we look at Caleb, and if you were like me, you're inspired by him, and I want to strive to be like him, I want to know what's the key to his success. And it says over and over the same phrase. Here's what it says. It says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. It says the key to Caleb's success is he had a different spirit. He followed God wholeheartedly. What what it means by this is he went to God with his hands completely open, and he says, it's all yours. I am letting go of everything that I have for you. I'm entrusting it to you, God. My, My family, my finances, my future, my health, my safety, everything is yours. That's what it means to be wholeheartedly following God. As I come in with open arms and open hands and I say, it's yours, I trust you. See, fear is always about the future. It's about not knowing what's going to happen. And what happens when you come in and you say, God, I fully trust you. I'm letting go of everything. It is all yours. In those moments when you're facing uncertainty or you don't know what the future holds for you, you are able to stand there fearless because you think, Because you can say, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future, and I can be okay. I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future looks like. It's all a big question mark, which for some of us can produce an incredible amount of fear and anxiety, and yet when you get to stand there and go, but I do know who's in control of the future, I can let it go. And fear no longer has a stronghold. There may be something to fear, but I can be fearless. My bet is that if you were to look at the area of life in which you're experiencing the most amount of fear and anxiety, that is probably the area in which you're having the hardest time letting go of and and trusting God with. Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's some future hopes and dreams, but my guess is wherever the most fear and anxiety is is the place in which you're still holding on to it and you're not letting it go. You're not letting God take control of it. Joshua later on says this as he's telling the Uh, Israelites, as they're moving forward in battle, he says, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, I think some of us, we need to choose today who's in control. Are we going to let go? Are we going to continue to try to control that thing? Are we going to continue to hold on to that, which is producing an incredible amount of fear and anxiety, and you were never created to bear that burden. It will destroy you. And so will you decide to go in with open hands and say, God, I'm trusting you with this. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's, it's a emotionally, mentally letting go of something. And in a moment, what we're going to do is I've asked the band to close us in a, a song because some of us, we need, to, we need to declare that today is the day in which we're letting go of something. Lord, you got to take it. I can't do this any longer. And I want to encourage you in those moments, mentally, maybe even physically, to go out there and go, you know what? I'm coming with open hands. It's yours. Place that thing in your hand, whether it's a relationship, whether it's money. Mentally put it there and go, God, I need you to take this. You may need to take an action step. 
Your, your, your letting go might be actually letting go of a relationship. It might be letting go of some finances. It, it might be letting go of a, a number of things. You may actually have to go and do something to let go. Whatever it is and whatever it, thing is that you're having trouble letting go of, here's what I do know, is it will be a fight. It will be a battle. It's the craziest thing is you will have to fight every single day, maybe even moment by moment, to pry your fingers off of that thing and go, God, I'm letting go right now. And another minute, and another minute, and okay, I'm letting go again today, and again today, and it will be a battle. It will be a fight. But here's the good news, is our job is not to have the power or the intellect or the insight. Our power is found in the Savior. That we simply have to show up and go, God, I don't get it, I don't feel this, and yet I am being faithful in these moments. Give me the power to just open my hands and let it go. And I do believe, just like he met them there, he'll meet us here. Let's pray. Lord God, so many of us are holding on to, maybe it's regret, maybe it's shame, maybe it's past mistakes, or maybe we're holding on to something in the present in which we are afraid of what's going to be taking place in our future. There's a big question mark when it comes to this area of our life, and it terrifies us. And Lord, we come before you right now in these moments and it may be in day-to-day, a moment-by-moment basis that we continue to try to pry our hands open and let go and entrust you with it. And so, Lord God, we come before you and we say that it's yours. We can't bear this burden any longer. It will destroy us. And so please take away this fear and anxiety and we entrust you with our futures. And so, Lord God, in these next few moments, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here, would be with us, that we could experience the freedom that we so desire in you. And we know that it will take something on our part. And so, Lord God, give us the power to let go. We love you, Lord. Amen.